lot of people are going to need to go to therapy for social media and this sort of issue of always wanting more like more 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 that's just a kind of circle to completely be unhappy forever i don't want to do that how did the moment feel like the money came through you're just like what the fuck you were set for life i felt like i won the lottery i got so lucky this guy's gonna help you not fuck it up tell me tell me about this relationship i wasn't interested in anything they had to teach um so I guess my my definition of success is Welcome to the first ever episode of Up Next, my new podcast where I have yeah, candid conversations with a lot of successful people to find out what they think about career, how they think about life, how they think about success and to help people that are similar to to me find out what they want from life and and how to get there. Our first guest is Andrew Gizdecki. He is really, really successful. I think that is safe to say. And throughout his career, he's started, grown and sold multiple companies, starting with business apps that he started out of his dorm room in college and sold for multiple million dollars um, eight years later. Today, he is the founder and CEO of Acquire.com, a marketplace that helps startups get acquired. I'm really, really excited for this conversation. This is Up Next, it's Andrew Gizdecki. Good to see you, Andrew. How are you doing? Doing good, Paul. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, super awesome that you're you're here. How would you explain what you're currently doing um, for a living to a 10-year-old? I run a startup acquisition marketplace that allows startups to buy startups from other startup founders. That's always a cool question because <laughs> uh, usually people are very like deep in their bubble and like uh, have troubles explaining that. Um, what was your dream job as a kid? I actually wanted to be CEO of a, of a business pretty early kind of weird most people want to be like professional athletes and stuff but from an early age i always like business and stuff like that i'm actually gonna start with like a little bit of education if i would travel back in time right now and ask one of your high school teachers how do you think would they describe you completely tuned out <laughs> i i knew pretty early that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And so I just kind of looked at, you know, what jobs were. And I just was like, I don't want that. I'd like to have the freedom and the creativity to build stuff on my own. There's a really funny Gary Vee quote where he says something like, he's like, I'm in, in like fifth grade. I knew I was an entrepreneur because I got like a D on my astronomy test. He's like, he's like, yeah, I don't give a, I don't give a shit about Saturn. <laughs> um, so I was kind of the same way. I just, I graduated high school with like a 2.2. Um, and that was just because I wasn't interested in anything they had to teach. Um, and then I went to Chico State where I graduated with a, a 2.07, which I think I'm pretty sure is the lowest graduating gpa on record because you can't graduate 2.07 so if i had a b minus instead of a b in a class i wouldn't have graduated 
that even my college professors uh, would probably say tuned out, except for um, I was very involved in the entrepreneurship um, uh, department club, if you will. Um, I'm proud to say I won fourth place, third place, second place, and then finally first place with uh, business ideas. That's awesome. And and going actually into your like university time, uh, what do you think was your definition of success back then? I really didn't know. So I actually, I can tell you my definition of success when I entered college, I knew I didn't want to get a job. I knew none of the paths of a typical job would get me where I wanted to go. And if I'm being honest, my original goal was just to, you know, accumulate some sort of wealth or just not have to worry about money and be able to support myself on my own. And so I looked at college as, okay, I have four years to figure out how to not get a job. So that was my definition of success. So every summer I had this thing where I'd build some new different business or just work on something, tinker on different websites. I made a job board. I made a real estate marketing web design company, and then eventually a company named Business Apps which was like a drag and drop mobile app builder. If you want to talk about that, which ended up um, running for about eight, nine, 10 years, um, which is like a hundred years in startup land. Uh, but yeah, I, I just, I just didn't want to get a job. That's such a cool uh, reason to go to university, actually, in my opinion. And it's actually, um, it's pretty intentional, right? Like to say, hey, I use this time for for that, and not just like do it because I really like that. And I, I mean, we we can um, we can go into business apps, but before that, I would I would have one question um, for everyone right now thinking about university, college. Um, what's your advice? I think probably it's changed a little bit now. So when I went to Chico, I think, and I I got like financial aid and all that stuff. Um, so I had loans I had to pay, but as w when I was a freshman and then when I graduated, I ended up going five years, which is kind of funny. Um, and just the footnote there, I went a fifth year to work on business apps and I picked up a minor in entrepreneurship and failed every, so I got an F in that. So I don't have a minor in entrepreneurship, but I just did it so I can get the financial aid. So I had, you know, uh, just everything paid for. And I just had this free time to focus on business. So on one hand, it's great because you have so much time and resources and zero responsibility to focus on building a business if that's your goal. And I think most of what I learned was out of the classroom, almost if not everything. Um, I met a lot of great teachers, great connections. Um, business apps had two small angel investors you raised um, a hundred thousand. Then we bootstrapped the rest of the business. I met those two investors in Chico. Uh, so shout out to Robert Jazzarino and Christian Breland. Uh, and then also Peter Strauss, who is the head of the entrepreneurship department. He kind of took me under his wing, if you will. So I had a great college experience, but towards the end, college tuition skyrocketed. It went from, I think it was like 5k as a year and then it went to like 25k i think it's probably like 50k now so 
you know, I, I think everyone should go to college, but, you know, I say that in, you know, kind of like a double vein of it's just so expensive. Now I might have not gone to college at all today if I had the choice, just because, but knowing the outcome, I would, but I'm just trying to think if I had to step back, not knowing where my future would be and I'm just getting a degree. Um, so I'm just going to put my answer as you should go to college. It has benefits, but man, has it changed? And it's definitely harder to get into. So Chico state, you can't even get into without a 4.0. So I would have never even got in. So yeah, that's kind of crazy. And then just the, you know, if you're, if your parents can't pay for it, it's just such a huge expense. So, you know, you got to, weigh the benefits like do you really need that degree um there's there's pros and cons i don't have a strong opinion on it i'm not like i know some people are like don't go to college it's bad for you but there's also so many benefits to college i met all my friend I met my wife there um that's a great question um i'm gonna i'm like 50 50 on that one yeah my what i always i mean even for for myself right i'm 18 and i i'm not at college um i think it's it's just it's about doing it for a reason like there's good reasons to do it right but it's like you shouldn't just do it because everyone does it in my opinion yeah um, i like that yeah um and i mean business apps you 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 touched upon that you started that like straight out of college and like from your college dorm room um and I mean, it's a, uh, you, you said that, but it's a, it was a platform for like small businesses to, or is, uh, I think it still exists, right? Um, yeah. To, to create an app and, and, and engage their, their customers that way. And before we go into like the specifics of building this company, I want to talk about mentorship. You already, already like mentioned the angel investors. I heard you say like in one podcast you talked about i think christian um and he said he changed my life um uh, absolutely 100 <laughs> percent. yeah well, tell me tell me about like this relationship and like mentorship in general yeah so christian friedland he was the founder of a company called build.com i have a pretty funny podcast with him uh on the microquire youtube channel He's just a brilliant individual and he started that business with no capital and he grew it to, I think like three or four, $5 billion in GMB and it's a e-commerce store. It competes with Home Depot and Lowe's online. So home repair stuff, think like sinks, toilets, you know, stuff, cabinets, I don't know. Um, big company though, like big, huge office, thousands of employees. Um, and he, he sold the company and stayed on as CEO and only made a few angel investments. So he wasn't a typical angel investor that would make a lot of angel investments. And so when he invested in me, he just had so much time and just availability. And I assume he just, you know, kind of, he, he had already sold his business. He, he was already kind of set for life. Um, and you know, I just, I'm, I, I still talk to him all the time and tell him like, dude, you changed my life. Like, thank you. But I would write him like really long emails. He was almost like a co-founder of the company. 
And I think it's really, really, really rare and also something not to be expected to find that level of mentorship. So I, I feel pretty grateful that I was able to accumulate so much knowledge. He invested, I think like 60K or something like that. And if you just think of what they were paying him as a salary to work at build.com, which I think was in the millions to stay on after the acquisition, uh, just his time alone that he invested in me was in the millions. And so I'm just forever grateful for everything that he did for me. He like truly cared for me as an individual. And again, I was, I was young, I was like 21, 22. And he really helped instill in me this, you know, cause we started growing really fast. And so when you start growing and we were in all the publications, we were, you know, in TechCrunch like 20 times when they used to write about bootstrap businesses, um, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, like you, you need, it was just kind of a cliche story, like college kid making mobile apps when no one knew how to make mobile apps. The so it was guy. also, yeah, it, it had a good story to it. And it had a David versus Goliath, like we're helping small businesses. Um, so it was very, uh, press worthy, if you will. Um, and so when you get that much attention, you know, VCs, investors reach out and Christian would always tell me like, Hey, like if you take on this type of money, like you realize like what you have right now is a win. Like you, and I always explain it like this, when you're bootstrapping a business, you're at, let's say like the blackjack table and you have a bunch of chips. And you can cash them in, like you can sell the business and you know, you've won. But when you raise venture capital, you kind of, you know, set you commit to this goal of getting a lot more chips before you can sell. And so that's why we we never raised any venture capital. We had, we met with every VC firm you could possibly name. Um, and we got close one time, and I remember emailing the partner just saying. I, I'm just too young and I don't know what I'd spend this on. I just don't feel comfortable. And Christian like help. And it's in his benefit to be like, take the money, like grow faster. But he's like, you know, you got a, you got a bird in the hand. Don't go for two in the bush right now. Like, you know, do that next time, you know, sell this business and do the, the VC thing next time. But like, like you build something special here without a lot of capital. Like that's very rare. Um, so that's where I say he, you know, quite literally changed my life. I found an interview from you in, from 2011, uh, when you were like 22, um, and you were asked, like it was right at the beginning or, um, early days of, of, of business apps. And you were asked about like a typical day. Um, I'm going to read you a quote now that what your answer from, from back then is it um, is it uh the idea mensch uh interview yeah i think so oh um, my gosh that was the funniest interview i've ever done <laughs> yeah that was really fun to read and like during <laughs> research i was i was very um proud of myself that i found that um, yeah so yeah um you said um business apps all all day um 12 hour days in the office living off coffee um, and loving every minute of it um, putting a heavy emphasis on crushing every aspect of the business. I just enjoy what I do. My friends literally want to kill me because I can't talk about anything but my business anymore. I can't help it. I love it. Anything that you're passionate about, you're going to make happen. Let's, let's reflect on this answer. Did you feel like you were living the dream back then already? 
Oh yeah. I felt like I won a lottery. I got so lucky. I mean, I'm not technical. I had no sales experience. I didn't have a lot of capital. I had no marketing experience. I had no job experience. I just got fired from a graphic design job at school. Um, and it was just, it was a moment and there's certain times where, you know, when you, when you launch a business market timing can be the most important factor. And so what I noticed in the market was, you know, there was these app builders coming out, but none of them were specific to small businesses. And I had a job board previous to that, that connected mobile developers with businesses. And I kept seeing this repeated job posted over and over and over. And I said, that should be a template because people are making or paying 50K to have simple apps for typically high-end restaurants and hotels made. And so, um, yeah, I would say, um, I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's interesting to reflect back and just think of all the mistakes that we made um, and how we still made it. And it really was just through you know, we just wanted it that bad. We just, you know, we worked really hard. Um, we kind of made up for our lack of experience with, you know, working, you know, somewhat outrageous hours, which at, at this age I, I can't do, but I'm, I'm really glad I, I did that when I was younger. Yeah. That's, I think there's always this, I, I would, I would be actually super curious, like, how much of that that answer was like narrative and how much like looking back and like like being i i would imagine like being part of this this like whole thing is like you you said you felt like you won the lottery um how much is that like how how different would the answer be right now well imagine this so you're growing up as a kid and your childhood dream is to be the quarterback of I don't know, the San Francisco 49ers. One day you reach that goal. And so at age 22, I was the CEO of a company that was growing really fast, faster than I had ever expected. And it was just kind of one of those moments of like, wow, like just kind of first shot. And then that's where I, I like to put emphasis just on the luck of just what happened um and i completely understand like i you know i it probably could have been a bigger company it probably could have been maximized more if i was more experienced but yeah i mean it was an exhilarating experience of just like just a rush of just like finding product market fit that fast like seeing revenue go into the millions when you're like 22 or 23 and you don't have you know, a lot of, uh, investors breathing down your throat or anything like that. It was, it was, uh, it was probably, I always like to say we didn't build the biggest company, but I would put money on saying we built the the funnest company. In that same interview, you, you, you name X Shahal. Gurbash Shahal. Yeah. He, yeah. um, built and sold like three different companies. He's had a few scandals though, since I posted that. Yeah. Um, so I, I would probably redact that one. Um, but the, the thing why, why I'm telling you that is um, like like the thing you said that wasn't inspiring about him 
was like actually building the companies, like making, building a 40 million company, then a 300 million company. Um, how much, like how much was that part of the motivation besides everything, like the money part, the like financial, you, you talked about that financial freedom um, and stuff. Yeah, I, I have a lot of respect for him because he just has a track record. I always say if you do it once, you're lucky. If you do it twice, you're talented. If you do it three times, like you're on another level. Um, like you just know how to build businesses. And they it takes a lot out of you. I think that's why you see a lot of entrepreneurs, they'll just kind of build one because it literally 10 years in startups is like dog years. It's like 100 years of your life. Um, but for those crazy enough to do a second one and then it's successful and then another one and it's successful, that's really rare. And so I thought that was just really cool how he uh, kept building these companies and they were kind of bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think another entrepreneur I'd probably replace um, with him uh, would be uh, Parker Conrad from uh, Zenefits. He you know, had a huge fallout um, with Zenefits, but then he came back with the vengeance from Rippling. And I, I love those stories where you lose everything. You had it all, you lose it all. I mean, I hope that doesn't happen to anybody, but, um, you know, it just such a, a an amazing story. If you lose it all, everyone doubts you, and then you pick yourself right back up. And I think that's what entrepreneurship is all about is where, you know, you're going to fall down. And I mean, Parker Conrad's story is a, a big story of, you know, falling down, like all press publications are saying the meanest things possible. And he comes back with Rippling, which is, you know, one of the, uh, fastest growing companies to my knowledge. Um, I think I, I love those types of stories. Um, just repeat founders, just, you know, coming back with something to prove or just for the love of building, ideally. You didn't fall down though. Um, so you, you sold business apps in, in 2018, I believe. Um, yep. And, and I mean, there, there's a lot of stuff like out there is, I mean, it's safe to say it, like you, you didn't have financial ones after that, but what what I'm curious about, like how did the moment feel like the money came through on your bank account? I've actually talked about this on, on one podcast, but like I was the opposite of probably what you thought. Like when, so I did have that typical moment of refresh your bank account and you're just like, what? the fuck like what um and my first reaction was i just i got really nervous i like didn't sleep that night i was like um i always described it as and i i really had this thought i was like is this illegal like this can't be true uh and then you know it sinks in and then that's when i kind of started to celebrate but at first i mean you the way most people accumulate, you know, wealth throughout like a career with a job is like very steady and slow. So it's kind of like one. And then for an entrepreneur, it's just like straight line and boop, just <laughs> it's so it's just so much all at once. It's just it's hard to kind of describe. It's like tr trying just try like just thinking about like it's like the feeling of your first customer product market fit. And the whole journey just kind of ending on a 
on like the best possible note all at once. So it's like emotional, scary, uh, but I will never forget that moment. That was that was a fun time. Was there like you, you after like after you you let it sink? Was there um, anything you like bought for your family for yourself? Like something like a stupid, um, just like I can't afford it now. I'll just do it. Purchase. No. So again, this is where Christian Friedland came in. He, you know, he made uh, a good amount of money off the the business um being acquired and so he he was happy um but again like he connected me with a financial advisor and he's like hey listen this guy's not gonna help you 10x your money but he's gonna help you not fuck it up basically <laughs> those that that was his words like literally do it and we always talked about a rule where you know when i sold the business uh to not spend anything for a year. And so I waited a year until I actually, maybe it was a little less than a year, but um, bought a house, bought a car. That was it. I'm a pretty simple guy. This sweater's from Target. I mean, I, I there's nothing I really want. And then I think you can probably like connect the dots. I just keep building businesses. So that's what I like to do. I actually think that's a, super interesting point like like what motivates you because i think for a lot of people money is a big part of the motivation yeah the thing and and this is another quote from uh christian freeland too is you know once entrepreneurs like get some sort of you know financial freedom you can transcend money as motivation and uh, will schroeder from uh startups.com uh really kind of put this into perspective because i asked him i was like why did i work so hard for that first business and he's like well that was like your that was like purpose for you like you wanted a better life for you and your family so that was you know very understandably like why you're why you worked on that business so hard because when you look back sometimes you're like why did i work 12 hour days why did i you know go through that much like you know pain if you will uh and you know now what motivates me today is just helping people um which is kind of ironic like even if micro is a huge success and you know i get a big financial windfall whatever i'm just gonna build another company like i don't like you know the thought of managing multiple homes or even multiple <laughs> cars like i have to get new tires on my car And I have to get an oil change right now. I, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so that stuff just doesn't interest me. So I think that's where I think a lot of entrepreneurs get things wrong in terms of what they really want out of a startup. And what I mean by that is I don't think entrepreneurs understand how impactful two, one, five, 10, $20 million can do. Like if you have $20 million, you are set for life. Like you have your retirement fund, you have your house paid in cash, you have like everything. But every entrepreneur is shooting for like the billion dollar outcomes. Like what what are you going to do with a billion dollars? What are you going to do with a hundred million dollars? Like you're just gonna... Twitter, like not with a hundred million, but... <laughs> I think Twitter is a little more than that. But <laughs> yeah. Um, like you're just gonna die with the money um I, i do hope a billionaire goes crazy one time and just 
starts like, I, I want a pyramid built in the middle of nowhere or something like that. I'll be, if I ever become a billionaire, I, I pledge to become that guy. <laughs> I was like, I want to, I want a pyramid built with a roller coaster around it. <laughs> like, and this is where you're going to bury me or something. Just, just like, it's such an absorbent amount of money. Like you just put it in the stock market and then like you get to watch it, the number go up more. Like what? I don't, I don't get it. So that's why I'm always trying to tell entrepreneurs, listen, you know, when you raise venture capital, um, you have a 1% chance of reaching, you know, a billion dollar valuation, but that it doesn't stop there. Now you have to either go public or you have to find a buyer for your business. When you have a business worth a billion dollars, the amount of businesses that can acquire that are very small. Your buyer pool, ironically, gets smaller as your business gets bigger. So if you focus on building a business to one, two, three, four, five, ten million dollars, you have a pretty good size buyer pool. And that is a more practical and realistic approach to entrepreneurship, in my opinion. And I think we've just been fed this Silicon Valley narrative of raise a series a through z and when you sell you'll have three percent of a billion dollar company it's like you can avoid all that and just you know bootstrap a business it's definitely you know both paths have um because micro requires venture back so i can speak to both paths are kind of equally hard but your chances of having a financial um success um, maybe it won't be a billion, but it'll definitely be life-changing. Um, it's far more practical if you don't raise a lot of outside capital. Everyone that, have, that has ever given me like money advice has said something along the lines of equity versus investing or whatever. It's just like, if you own something and sell it, that's where, where money, where money comes from. It's, it's such a big thing. Thank you for for sharing that let's uh, shift gears a little bit and talk talk about actually twitter for for a second mm -hmm. um, like how much time do you spend on twitter every day so i used to write a lot in terms of uh journaling or uh writing for publications like forbes entrepreneur and so instead of doing that i just i just like to write and so and i always have so in the morning, I'll usually kind of think of a tweet or something like that. And I just think it's fun. And that goes back to kind of what motivates me, which is just helping people. If I can help people, like, I love the responses of like, oh, I need to hear that. Or just like, thanks for the tip. Sometimes you'll get like worst tweet ever. And it's like, I just like it anyways. Like I respect your opinion. You know, I'm not always right. Um, but I would say typically like no more than like two, three hours a day. Are you, are you actually writing everything yourself? Yeah. Yeah. I, I've never, I, some people have called me out and they like, they're like, Andrew's not real. He's a bot or something like that. Or he has a ghostwriter. Um, and I always, always like, and like engage and, and do this stuff. Yeah. The reason I do that is because, uh, I'm just trying to say, um, well, for two reasons. One is, uh, the comments is kind of where I get ideas for just other tweets so i read them and also i just it's kind of my way of saying like hey thanks for just engaging and also just like i respect your opinion even if you're like worst tweet ever i'll still like it so it's really me and you could you could test me you can be like 
ask me a hard question. Like, uh, I don't know. My, my lucky number is 11. If you just ask me that, like we answer what's your lucky number? Like I'll say 11. Um, it's always me. It's always been me. Um, but sometimes Drake, Drake does come in and, and ghost writes a couple tweets, um, here and there. It's a great way for Drake to like make a little <laughs> bit money off of, uh, on the side. Probably he, 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 he does it pro bono. Yeah. Uh Okay, that, that's okay. that's a joke for people. <laughs> joke, not serious. Um, do you have like an advice for for like starting out on on Twitter or another like social media platform for young people? Is it even worth it if you're just like at the beginning of your career? Yes, I would say so. I think the main thing, and I think a lot of people are going to need to go to therapy for social media. <laughs> um, like. I won't say names, but like the people who just like, just rile people up and just say these just like polarizing opinions just to get attention. They're going to be in therapy um, for social media because you get addicted to those little dings. Um, so, you know, I, I try to do a couple things. Um, number one, um, I don't really care what people think about my tweets. Again, I just, you know, I respect everyone's opinion. Um, but what I'm trying to say here is, um, you need to find a way to make it fun. Um, and for me, that's just posting, you know, stuff that helps entrepreneurs, motivates them, teaches something. I'm sharing a story, I'm marketing micro acquire, um, rooting for other entrepreneurs to succeed. That's fun to me. Um, what's not fun is writing something and then it becomes into like a Q and a, I don't have time for that. Like I write a topic that has nothing to do with micro choir and someone's like, Hey, what about micro choir? Sometimes like, I'll just, I'll just like that. And I'll just reply later. Um, but my, what I'm getting across is find something that you enjoy on social media because then you'll show up every day. Cause it's all about just consistency. And then if you're not going to enjoy it, you're going to suck at it. I'm a big believer that the best work that you do is work that you love. And I just happen to like writing little snappy, you know, sometimes good, mostly bad startup tweets. Um, I enjoy it. Um, so I think if you think of it as like a game that you enjoy, but if you get into this sort of like, I got to build a personal brand, I'm going to, you know, write these huge threads, like a shout out to people who write threads. I have no idea how you, how you have time for that. Um, but, um, again, just figuring out, I mean, maybe threads is your thing and you want to, you know, really educate people, like find out what you enjoy and then that's how you make it work. And then just do that for like a couple of years. And that's that a, also applies to startups too. <laughs> that's a like universal advice. Um, I actually wrote a lot of threats in my early days on Twitter, but it, yeah, as soon as you're not like senior year in high school, like having nothing to do and just like spending your whole day on Twitter, I, I started like noticing, oh, that's not very like feasible and sustainable. Yeah. I, I wrote, a, I've written a few threads, but I didn't enjoy them because it just, I like just kind of the more snappy, just, you know, and One thing you'll notice is most of my tweets, they just come from my phone. So I think the best tweets usually come from, um, they're, they're usually kind of reminders to myself or just things that I'm thinking of. And that's kind of maybe an idea for people of just like, 
you know, be yourself, like be authentic. And so, you know, I don't have like scheduling times or anything like that. It's just, what am I thinking about today? I don't know. And then I just kind of post it and I don't really care what people think or say about it. Um, but I, I, I enjoy and respect, um, you know, people's comments, opinions, and it makes it fun, you know? Yeah. And, and one thing that you do tweet, uh, at least from time to time about is micro choir. Actually have, I don't know if you even see micro choir there, but it's, it is there. Oh, right using, on. Yeah. I'm using the, it's on, on my wall of fame for, for swag. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> I, I'm actually, I'm actually really loving the like cap and the, the swag and it's, and it's a very like, you can make a lot of, uh, jokes that like, I, I posted this one time where like, was in the supermarket and said i'm micro acquiring some groceries i saw that and i laughed <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, like I think that. i i love that and I, it's, it's even better that like no one literally no one else other than like people i know on the internet like understands that um so yeah that's that's really cool and it is a venture-backed business so you i think raised seven million something like that like 12 12 oh. or 13 i mean there's like lots of traction you're going to like drop the micro um, yeah uh which is which is super cool i'm actually um with a with a good friend of mine looking um into acquiring something and it's like there is a lot of big stuff there right um and i mean what are your personal goals with micro acquire beyond just helping people like experience what you experience with with business apps i would say it was just you nailed it my experience with with business apps like going through finding a buyer was so hard like it took me like literally years to find a buyer and then there's no education on how to sell your business there's a lot more now but four years ago due diligence legal steps you know you just had to go through an investment bank or something like that to sell your business and then um, after I had sold Allcoin, my second company, I was actually looking to buy a SaaS company because I didn't want to go through the part where you eat glass for two years, find product market fit, and you're doing everything. But then I started MicroQuire um, <laughs> for some reason. And it originally was just for uh, personal deal flow. Um, and then I just saw it was so needed in the market because there was nothing specific to SaaS. And then I found out brokers took 15% commission. Investment banks typically take you know two to 3%. So I was like, okay, we got a big market here. Um, I think a lot of entrepreneurs are going to be bootstrapping businesses. And there's going to be a lot of businesses, specifically SaaS um, software companies, um, getting acquired for under, say, $50 million dollars not the billion dollar outcomes. Those are still going to be there, but I think the long tail of just, you know, people building software has been, you know, democratized with, you know, no code tools, just all the information. Like a decade ago when I was building business apps, we were all winging it. There was no book to read on sales strategy. There were, but there wasn't like a standard. There wasn't, I couldn't post something on Twitter like, hey, I need help with this. You know, we, you know, like our billing stack, like, oh my gosh, like there was no Stripe. There was no, 
we were on physical servers for a little bit, if you remember that. So my point being is it's so much easier to create a startup and there's just so many niche opportunities. And I think we're going to see that continue, continue, continue. And so, um, you know, with, with MicroQuire, the thought was, you know, man, I wish I had a platform like this to help me sell business apps when I was looking to sell it. Because when I sold the business, I was in it long enough where I was ready to step aside. Um, I was actually looking at hiring a CEO for the business, um, but we uh, sold the business instead because I wanted to try something new. I wanted to work on something new Um, and it was in such great shape. I just, you know, was pretty, I delegated almost everything. And so I was kind of just there for the big decisions. Um, And yeah, I think, you know, big plans for acquire.com is, you know, I want to, I want to help facilitate not just, you know, the micro acquisitions, but, you know, the macro acquisitions too. I think, you know, I don't think any entrepreneur really wants a micro acquisition. You know, I don't think any entrepreneur wants to feel like, oh, I sold my business for a micro price. You know, we want to, I want to help founders maximize their exits. And I think with the rebrand acquire.com, it's a good way to really help entrepreneurs, you know, think bigger, like, yo, let's go for, you know, seven figures. Like you can do it if you just push a little bit harder. We'll still support, you know, deal sizes of, um, any range, but, um, I can see acquire.com being just the default marketplace. If you're looking to sell a business for 10,000 or a hundred million. So that's essentially our goal. Yeah. That's, that's like the perfect story, right? Like of the, like, it's such a clear pitch of that. Like, that's what we are fighting or who we are fighting against. And like, this is the like perfect solution to replace that with. So I love that. If you, um, I love to ask this question, by the way, um, in, let's say in a few years, what we're like, what no one expects and, and acquire.com fails, how would you like explain this decision to do that? Like to a stranger in a bar, why wouldn't you regret it? I mean, it, it has a, I know my, my, my chances since we're venture backed, you know, I'm in that 1% bucket. So you know, my odds aren't very good. Just, you know, even as we're, we're doing well. Um, but that's just the reality of startups is you got to go through it. You know, you got to go after it. So let's say it does fail and, you know, it doesn't work out. Um, I would have no regrets um, because we've definitely helped a lot of entrepreneurs. And again, that's what motivates me. So even, that's kind of like the ironic thing. Even if MicroQuare does fail and, I think if we define failure as, you know, we weren't able to commercialize the business and make it bigger, we still have helped so many entrepreneurs, at least I hope we have, and we've helped them sell their business. And I think we've helped a lot of people rethink, you know, what, you know, life-changing money really is. It's not the billion dollar outcome. It's more just, you know, sell your business for just a couple million. It's so much more realistic, so much more feasible. And your buyer pool is in like the, the thousands. Like, so I think even if it fails, you know, I, I have accomplished my goal in terms of just inspiring entrepreneurs and helping entrepreneurs. But yeah, I mean, if it goes down like in flames, uh, it, it suck. <laughs> I'm not 
I can't get around that. But if I had to explain to someone, I'd have to probably go over the, I'd have to probably do a retrospect on, you know, what decisions did we get wrong? You know, there'd probably be, I'd, I definitely would do a postmortem in terms of, you know, what, just to help people. But, um, you know, I, I'm giving it all I got, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, I, I'm sure. And I also obviously hope that it's, it's not going to get to this point. Um, how, how much like since the early days of business apps and we looked at this quote, like where you described your typical day, how different is the typical day of, in your life right now to that? Um, I recently, I recently tweeted about this. So my, so I have, um, a lot of boundaries that I set now is cause when you're, you know, 22, 23, 25, whatever, you don't have a lot of responsibility, but I'm married, I have a three-year-old, um, you know, I have, you know, a life outside of work. And so, you know, those are also relationships like you want to really nurture because if you, if I succeed with my require, I want to share it with my friends and my family and then all my teammates. Um, so I've, I've really tried to correct a lot of the mistakes I made at business apps. The biggest one was not delegating early enough not hiring a team of people way smarter than me earlier enough. Um, also understanding that working harder does not translate to or working more hours doesn't necessarily translate to more growth on the business. So I'm more thoughtful with my time and I try to guard my calendar um, pretty hard. And uh, so a typical day I'll work, it depends on the week, um, but I usually will work between at least 40 hours, some weeks over hundred hours, just depends on if we're recruiting, if there's a product launch coming out, um, you know, if it's kind of one of those uh, end of the month, if you will. Um, but I make like right after we get done recording this podcast, I'm going to lunch with my wife. Um, I make time for my son every day, um, weekends, family, friends, um, but just having that stuff, it, when I was building business apps, it was so heads down, almost like obsessive that it was, it was borderline unhealthy when I, <laughs> when I think about it, I don't, I don't recommend that because you need a good balance and you do better work when you can come back and you're like, oh, oh, that, that one problem I have an idea for it now, <laughs> or just, I don't, I don't necessarily sweat, you know, issues or problems or challenges as much as I used to. Uh, cause I, I've just learned over the years that does no good. Like you can worry and stress about there, Like when you have a problem in a business, whether that's finding product market fit, you lost customers, someone quit, whatever you have two paths. Like one is you can complain and whine about it. And like, you know, just basically do nothing. <laughs> and that has zero value. Or you can look at every problem as an opportunity to improve and get better. And so just that simple sort of, I'm a big believer, you know, startups are half mental. It's like a half mental game. Um, so that's probably a, a big, big switch in terms of how I work and how much I work. So when I do work a lot, it's usually just, we got a lot going on because the team is still small, but it's definitely not on the level of, you know, hardcore hustle like business apps was, if, 
if you will for me personally like super early stage and i don't have this experience you have so it's like kind of very limited data set but is the coolest like part of a startup and like smaller team you know everyone is that for you the, the case as well oh yeah i mean well every stage is kind of fun because you know you move from you know i'd go even smaller is probably the funnest because that's when like you don't know if it's going to work at all like you know that's and then you and then you get through that breakthrough and you're able to you know hire a few more people um, but yeah, when you can all fit on one Zoom screen, you still have time to kind of joke around in a 30-minute stand-up. Uh, everybody knows each other on a personal level and a professional level, and everybody is able to, you know, have fun and just enjoy their work and know everybody in the company. It becomes really hard when, you know, the company's so big, people just don't even know each other. Um, and yeah, just it's just every person that you add to your company is just another layer of communication. And so I'm a big advocate of keeping your team as small as possible for as long as possible, because a small team can ironically move way faster than um, a big bloated team with, because then you got to have meetings about meetings and then strategy talks. And it just becomes, instead of just, you know, actually getting stuff done it, in my experience you know you get the most stuff done when you're small and then after that you just have so many customers to support that you have to have processes to you know sustain all that and that's the same with product you have such a vast you know feature set you know you have you need so many engineers to support it and it, you do see a little bit of um uh you know, slowness in terms of the, the delivery of, of everything. Um, uh, not, not always the case, but yeah, when you get all fit on a, one zoom screen, you have to tile over a bunch that those are the good days. When you're hiring right now, um, especially, I don't know, it's uh, how much you actually do that, but like junior ish people, a younger folks, um, what are you looking for? What would also be your advice for like someone my age um, in terms of like getting hired or career? I would say, so if you're looking to get hired, anything to stand out, I mean, anything to like, if you can, you know, do something interesting in terms of like one person I hired, you know, we started the interview and they had a microcar shirt on, like, that's <laughs> awesome, you know? Cause I like to hire people. I, I have a really simple criteria when I hire It's just, um, do I think I'd enjoy working with you? Do I think you'd enjoy working at this company? And do I think you do a good job? That's kind of it. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of layers to that onion. So what I look for is just motivation, attitude, and skill set in that order. Cause I can't teach the other two. And if you don't have a positive attitude and you're not motivated to work at microquires, so to speak, um, it's just not going to work out. You know, I don't want, I don't, I don't, I don't look to hire people that just want a job. I want people on uh, my team that want to be on my team because they like what we're doing. You know, they're passionate about helping other entrepreneurs. Um, and I think that's when you get the most out of a team is when everyone's rowing in the same direction 
and there's purpose to the work. And it, it sounds cheesy as hell, but um, when you all just have this shared, you know, sort of view of like what you can accomplish together, you know, that's where you get the high fives and like everyone contributing and everyone, you know, giving just like really good ideas and feedback and, you know, putting in the extra 10% and, you know, there's a saying, you know, if you want to go fast, go alone, but if you want to go far, go together. And so, you know, I think a lot of people make the mistake of hire smart people and then just leave them alone. Like that, I like, I think, I, I don't know whose quote that is, but I couldn't disagree with that more. I think you want to hire people that are motivated and that are, you know, team players that make each other better. And what happens is you create this um, organization of just pure learning where everyone is just helping each other out and learning and just, you know, it's a team, like a basketball team. Everybody's passing the ball. You know, it's not like you just, you know, pick up LeBron James and you just say, hey, do your thing. You know, LeBron James needs like a supporting cast and stuff like that. Probably a bad analogy, but, um, you know, there's a book called The Advantage that goes over um, basically, you know, let's call them A players. A group of unaligned A players um, were uh, basically they had some project to complete and they had junior, less experienced people, five of them. And they were, they were highly motivated and the A players were not as motivated and the B players uh, outperformed them by like a magnitude of like three to four. Um, I need to reread that book for um, the specific details. But my point being is if you have one bad apple, just in a group of five, it just ruins everything. So again, that's why I always look for motivation, attitude, and skill set. I would say you're you're pretty successful, but what does uh for for do you agree, and what does that mean? Um, I think success is defined by you. Uh, I mean, you know, I think people look up to people with a lot of money as successful, you know. But I think the most successful people are the people that are just the happiest because there's, there's things that you, you can't buy, you know, and that's really where you win in life. You know, I think that the person who's running a one person business, cause he doesn't like to manage people and is able to just pay his bills and he's laughing with his team every day. He doesn't have any stress. That person is richer in my opinion than any billionaire because they've kind of checkmated life. Like I recently just got back from um, Hawaii and I always, uh, kind of joke with, um, you know, my wife, when we go out there, you know, you know, we're at, you know, some restaurant and the waiter comes and I'm always like, do they have it figured out or do we, you know, because we pay a lot of money to come here and they're just living in paradise and they have the lowest stress job. And this, this place is beautiful. You know, and I think about that often. Um, so I think success is definitely defined by you. And for me, it's just being happy. You know, that's one of the, the core components because, you know, when you like think of it this way, like, you know, people going after like billion dollar outcomes, what's really going to happen is, you know, maybe you'll get a bigger house. That's cool. And you probably won't use 90% of it. 
maybe your car will be fast. Okay, that's cool. But like, you don't need it. Um, you know, but it's, it's really, you know, the people that, you know, are, are doing things on their terms um, with, you know, spending time how they want to spend it and are able to, you know, just basically live happy lives. And that's what makes you live longer. That's what, you know, everyone really strives for. And I think a lot of people kind of get trapped in this sort of issue of always wanting more, if you will, always wanting more, like more, 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 more. And that's just a kind of circle to just kind of completely be unhappy forever. (laughs) Um, So I guess my, my definition of success is, just being able to do what you want to do every day. And for me, that's just building companies. I love building companies. I love the bad parts. I love the good parts. I love everything in between. And I'm just super grateful. I'm able to do that. Um, and I'm, I'd like to think I'm okay at it. Um, but not the best, but I don't know. Good enough to get on your podcast. Oh, that's, that's for sure. Um, was there like one or two key decisions in your life looking back now that like where you went like left when everyone else went right um that like very much influenced um or like made your i don't know success or, or help you get where you are yeah i would say college you know from day one being like I I don't want a job and focusing four years on because everyone, you know, they're trying to build a startup, but what they don't see behind, you know, startup founders that they may think are successful is just a ton of work that has gone into accumulating these skills. So I had to learn, you know, sales, I had to learn, you know, marketing. So when I say I don't have sales, like formal sales experience, marketing experience, I was just learning on my own because I really wanted to learn the game of building a business. So um, I think that's one of them. And then I would say probably the second one, uh, uh, I would say this is going to sound probably marrying my wife, um, met her in college. And actually she was the first one I told about um, business apps as an idea. And so she's kind of like my secret co-founder to like everything I do. She, she's like chief of staff, essentially. She also owns a recruiting company. Um, so she's got some entrepreneurial spirit in her as well. But um, uh, those are probably the two best decisions I ever made. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Is there anything you want to, you want to like plaque where, where should people go check you out, check, check out what you do? Uh, sure. Yeah. If you want to connect with me on Twitter, just a Gazdecki, if you can spell that correctly, good for you. And then just, uh, uh, maybe check out acquire.com. Awesome. Andrew, thank you so much for taking, taking this time. I really do appreciate it. It was like, I learned a million things. Um, and I'm super glad you took the time. Yeah. My pleasure, Paul. And that's a wrap for this week's episode of up next. If you want to unlock more secrets to success then make sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode again and if you enjoy the show i'd be super grateful if you could take a moment to leave me a review on your favorite podcasting platform your feedback helps me to continue bringing you the best content and guests remember 
you have the power to shape your own future. You are up next. Till next Wednesday, I'm Paul, signing off. Bye-bye.